I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we talk about the virtue of modesty, how it's not just about clothing, and we all probably need a little more of it than we think. and neck been hurting because of stress lately? Let me tell you, I had a neck brace fitted years ago and I've never looked back since. Ha ha ha, everyone, welcome to episode 78. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited for this topic. It is a controversial topic and one that is hard to talk about as a man in the way that we normally talk about it, and that is the virtue of modesty. So if you're tired of hearing about how modesty is about clothing and what you should wear and what you shouldn't, uh, don't worry. This episode's not really going to be about that. It's going to be about modesty as a virtue and why all of us, men and women alike, need this virtue so much more than we think we do and probably now in this time more than ever. But before we do that, let's get to our peak pit and plug. My peak of the week is that today, the day I'm recording this, September 15th, is my daughter's baptism day. She was baptized two years ago today, uh, and so, so happy to celebrate her being part of the family of God and having God as her father and me as a steward of that beautiful role in her life. And so, please pray in a special way for my daughter, Hannah, when you hear this, that she will come to know and love Jesus even more in the coming years of her life. My pit is that, how do I put this? I... I'm just tired. I'm well, I'm tired. I'm tired. But I'm tired of seeing Christians who are more vocal, passionate, and bold about political issues and candidates than they are about Jesus. That's kind of my pit, you know? I wish we were just more passionate about Jesus, more passionate all across the board, on every side, in every moment, when it comes to any issue, and that it would always point back to him and not point point back to how awful someone else is. Anyway, that's my pit. Maybe you relate. Um, My plug is related to my peak in that um, today for Hannah's baptism anniversary, uh, we bought her, we always buy her, want to start this tradition of, um, or continue this tradition of buying her some kind of religious or spiritually significant gift on her baptismal anniversary. And so we found these shining light dolls and Jenna, my co-host on this podcast, who we long for the day that she can return, uh, was the first one to get one of these for Hannah, and it was uh, Our Lady Guadalupe. And so we got her some of those today. Today she got um, Joan of Arc, St. Michael the Archangel, and St. John Paul II. And she has Maximilian Colby, Therese of Lisieux, and St. Gianna, Beretta Mola. Uh, and she knows all their names, and she talks to them and plays with them. It's such a great way to get uh, children to interact with the saints and see them as tangible people who are their friends, who they can talk to, who they can um, just be a part of their life. It's really, really cool to see her do that. And they all come with these little collectible cases and uh, little collectible packaging, I should say, and uh, these little prayer cards, um, little prayer pamphlets with them. So anyway, Shining Light Dolls, if you um, have children or you know people that do, um, or you want to buy them for Hannah, go for it. Well, you know, let me know. I'll tell you. Well, those are all the ones she has. So anyways, um, that's my peak pit plug. Happy baptism day again to my daughter. So modesty, speaking of my daughter wanting this of young women, uh, this is, uh, 
often uh, a virtue is that's something associated with women only. You know, I've never heard of, you know, someone tell a man, you know, you should really be more modest or dress more modestly. Like this is always directed toward women because I think we have too narrow of an understanding of modesty and we don't recognize the goal of modesty and how that's a goal for all of us. Now, this first came up because of the idea of modesty being having to do with clothing and me as a man never really feeling like I know the appropriate way to approach a woman, especially a young woman, someone I've ministered to or who was in youth ministry, who um, I might want to share the truth and beauty of this virtue with. And this comes about often uh, around this time of year and through the summer that um, I'm managing our social media accounts for our youth ministry and our young adult ministry. And we've followed teens and young adults that have followed us first. And uh, I'll be scrolling through the feed and all of a sudden I'll see a string of my former teens in very skimpy bathing suits. And I will be horrified because A, I wasn't expecting it. B, not something I really want to see. And yes, they are beautiful young women. They are uh, amazing women of God. And they, um, a lot of them, you know, we're really engaged in our program and really, you know, I know they have a heart for the Lord and it just, it breaks my heart in many ways because it, I just wonder what the point of it is because I don't know when you look at a picture and you kind of see where the eye falls, you know, like where's the center of the picture. The center of the picture is never really focused on their beautiful face or their smile or, you know, something that's going on. It's usually some part of their body that's being kind of thrust forward toward the camera And that just really kind of breaks my heart. And so it started with me just kind of recognizing the pattern of that every year and kind of wishing like, man, I wish there was a way I could talk about this and not not make these girls feel like they're less than or that they did something wrong, but to really help us all to have an understanding of what does it mean to practice the virtue of modesty, to recognize our need for it in ourselves and our need for it in how we view other people and how beautiful it is when you see someone embrace that. And I'm not just talking about clothing, because I think sometimes, you know, we talk about the modesty of clothing a lot, especially in more traditional Catholic circles. And I think there are people in those circles who honestly take it too far and look like they're on like a Mennonite commune and like they're very unhappy or very drab. And there's something to the beauty and the aesthetic of fashion that expresses your personality and that brings out the beauty and expressive quality, creative quality in the person. And so it doesn't, I think we get it wrong in both directions, to be honest. I think there's a way in the middle where we can really express who we are, where things that are bold or cutting edge or trendy or cute and, you know, really express who we are and make us feel confident and comfortable, but also honor the fact that we want to be modest, not because we're supposed to, because the church says, but because modesty is a virtue that acknowledges the dignity of human life. And so... That's kind of what I want to talk about today, and I know it's going to touch on a lot of other things that I've kind of been thinking about, um, and so we'll see where this goes. But I want to draw your attention to the section in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that talks about modesty. I believe it's in the section on the Ninth Commandment in Life of Christ, which is the third major part of the Catechism, and that Ninth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, is when purity and modesty comes up, and it's specifically in the paragraphs 2521 to 2524. And uh, it's talking about purity here, but it gives a good context and kind of a definition for modesty here in 2521. It says, purity requires modesty, an integral part of temperance. Temperance is the ability to kind of say no uh, or um, have self-control to things, especially uh, things we consume like uh, food, drink, stuff like that. 
So we uh, continue. Modesty protects the intimate center of the person. It means refusing to unveil what should remain hidden. It is ordered to chastity, to whose sensitivity it bears witness. It guides how one looks at others and behaves toward them in conformity with the dignity of persons and their solidarity. And as it continues in 2522, says this, Modesty protects the mystery of persons and their love. And it goes on to a lot of other things that are really, um, really good. So I'd encourage you to read those paragraphs. They'll be in the show notes. But I think that in particular, that sentence in 2521, that it guides how we look at others and behave toward them in conformity with the dignity of persons. That modesty is more an acknowledgement of the dignity that we have as being created in the image and likeness of God. That God gave us a body and he created the body good and that it is beautiful and that we do tend when we see too much of the body to immediately jump toward the sinful because we are more inclined for that type of behavior, that type of visualization to spark sinful thoughts or patterns of behavior in ourselves because we are fallen. And so if we were still in the Garden of Eden, we would still all be naked. Like that's just how God created us. But because we have a fallen nature and sin has entered into the world, we use that beautiful gift of the body and celebration of the body and we distort it and we make it uh, exploited. We see the body as something to be used instead of something to be held or to be beheld. We see it as uh, a sign of what can I get instead of, wow, look at the beauty God has given. And we don't, we allow it to be the place where our eyes stop instead of looking beyond and into the body for the dignity of the person, the dignity that they have for the fact that God himself dwells in them and loves them and created them good. And that, I think, is the whole overarching virtue of modesty that we we are lacking because there's so much going on right now when it comes to COVID, when it comes to politics, when it comes to our conception of freedom and liberty and the common good where we are not being modest because we are refusing to acknowledge the dignity of persons and their solidarity, our need to be with them, to walk with them and accompany them in their worry, their concern, and having doing what we can to ensure that we are working for each other's good and not working for just our selfish desire to do whatever we want. I hear this sometimes characterized in conversations about modesty that like, well, if you're looking at me that way, then that's your problem and I should be able to do whatever I want. And I think there's um, there's truth and untruth in that statement that women or people in general should not have to conform to dressing a certain way simply because others are more tempted to look at them negatively or sinfully. We choose to respond immediately when we see something like that, whether or not we will sexualize it, whether or not we will turn it into something that's distorted or sinful. We choose to do that. Now, men are by nature more visual um, visually oriented creatures and we're more tactile. We more think about what we can touch, what we can do, what we can control. And so those tendencies that we have, and that's by virtue of our biology and our neurology as men, biological men, that we can tend to go that route in our mind more easily. Now that doesn't mean it's on the responsibility of the woman to just kind of walk on eggshells around men. Uh, no, but that might be some of the reason behind 
that if maybe you're wearing things um, in a summer day that expose more skin and a man is approaching you from far away, where he might continue looking at the skin that is being exposed because that's the first thing he may see from a distance. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that man, his intention when he saw you was, ooh, I'm going to look at this woman seductively or you know, in a way that makes her uncomfortable. But because of that visual nature, he's more inclined to then make that choice to respond in either a negative or a positive way when it comes to seeing something like that in the opposite sex. However, the statement also that I should be able to do whatever I want, that's a confusion on the virtue of freedom or the reality of freedom. And this is something I think I've mentioned in episodes before, but there's a philosopher and author named Mortimer Adler, and he has a great book. I can't remember the name of it, but um, I would inc- you can look up um, Liberty and License and Mortimer Adler, and you'll find this book. And um, he talks about the fact that whenever we're talking about freedom, we usually, in an American context, we tend to talk about the selfish version of freedom called license. And that's the ability to do whatever we want. You know, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do what makes me happy. It doesn't matter who I hurt. And yes, maybe I have to obey the law, but that's it, you know. And even if the law is infringing on what I want to do, I should be able to fight back because I'm, I'm an autonomous, independent individual. And you cannot make me conform to your way of living. Now, in some senses, yes, that's true. If there is some injustice that is being propagated by the law, you know, the government cannot force you to do something that is immoral or illicit. That says that in the catechism as well. However, if it comes to just decency or um, I have the freedom to do this, but yeah, it might inconvenience or hurt other people. um, And so I shouldn't do it, but I choose to do it anyway. That's license. That's license. That's not liberty. That's not what freedom was meant when we talk about freedom in the founding documents of our country, when we look at the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and really draw out of them the real meaning of the freedom that is given. The freedom in those documents in the founding fathers and in the founding of our country and its laws has to do with liberty. And liberty is about the fact that you are free to do whatever you are able to, whatever you desire, that is your God-given right to do, with respect to the fact that it is uh, keeping in mind the common good. Keeping in mind the common good. Recognizing that, yeah, you could do many things, but if it's going to infringe the rights of somebody else and make them um, have negative effects because of it, just because you can do it, and maybe you even have the legal freedom to do it, does not mean that you should. We see this happen a lot in corporations or companies when it comes to wage theft or, you know, treatment of its employees or, you know, things like that. Like they can sneak by a lot of these little loopholes, but doesn't mean that they should. No, that's not real liberty. That's not what it means to work for the common good and to work for freedom. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, when it comes to our interactions with people, when it comes to things like COVID, politics, all these issues that are very divisive and very, you know, on the forefront of the media and our conversations right now, especially being in an election season, we have to remember that it's not simply about I can do whatever I want. It's about we should be able to have the freedom to do the things that are good for us, but also do not infringe the rights of others. That is what freedom and liberty is about. And so when it comes to modesty, we cannot simply just 
resign ourselves to practice it because we want to do, quote, whatever we want, whatever makes us happy, whatever makes us feel good. I think that should pose a second question, which is why does doing this, dressing this way, behaving this way, acting in an immodest way in a conversation, or getting angry or hot-tempered, gossiping about someone, all those things affect modesty if it's about the dignity of people. Why do I get, why do I want to do these things? Why do I feel that I'm free to do this? And why do I feel they make me happy, confident, fulfilled, etc.? And so, you know, that's specifically maybe when it comes to dressing a certain way or expressing oneself in a certain way. But I think we have to keep in mind the overall thought on the virtue. That modesty is about presenting an authentic, dignified self and an acknowledgement of an authentic, dignified self in everyone else we encounter. And so I, when I realized this was the actual definition of modesty, and it's also one of its synonyms in the catechism is decency, being decent, I recognized that it is also something that men extremely like struggle with this in the area of like reputation that men will often try and one up each other or try and present a self that is bigger, bolder, stronger, you know, uh, more uh, kind of the personality who will have the better story or who will be the one who's attainable to the opposite sex. This kind of competitive nature of masculinity, especially when it comes to the dating world or when we're interacting with the opposite sex, men behave and act and talk and speak in a lot of ways that are immodest. Um, I know that there are a lot of men in the Catholic Church, young adult men, who are more of the traditional Catholic persuasion, who will have this idea of family or future where the the man is supposed to be in the traditional role of breadwinner and the woman will have the traditional role of being at home. And that's fine if you have, you know, a relationship where you want to do that and it works for you financially and you find freedom and confidence and grace in that and you both agree to it. But I find men who have that certain persuasion tend to, I hear them often, and it's commented to me often that they do this, tend to talk very immodestly about women and insultingly about women in almost like a, a deprecating way. Um, and I just, I, you know, if if you say anything about another woman that you can't say about the Virgin Mary, don't say it. That's just my rule for men. If you can't say if you can't say something to a woman that you wouldn't say that's a double negative don't say things to women that you would say to the virgin mary that's what i'll say um and it's the same thing goes like with your future daughter your future spouse would you want someone to say this about them and if not you should not say it because that is you being immodest even if you are responding to behavior that you think is immodest in somebody else because you are refusing to acknowledge the dignity of the person and you're refusing to be decent. Just because someone dresses an external way does not give you the right to judge their internal reality. And modesty, in a sense, when we're being immodest, we're looking only at the surface level. And we can do that beyond clothing. We can do that when we judge a person based on uh, how they appear rather than getting to know their character, rather rather than hearing their story, rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt and recognizing that they probably have good intentions. And that we are all the victim of a society 
that is extremely exploitative when exploitative is that a word um, when it comes to the area of sexual immorality when it comes to the cultural way that women are told that they're supposed to dress and present themselves the way that we even have like measurements for models you know like in songs like 36 26 30 I don't really know but like you know we don't have that for men you know it's not like pecs abs hips you know that men or pecs abs thighs quads whatever like we don't have those measurements like how and and if it if you apply it to the opposite sex and it seems ridiculous then it's probably ridiculous for the sex that it applies to like let's just say that you know and so I think there's a lot in our culture that has reduced modesty to address this reality that prizes sexual permissiveness and this kind of eroticism that surrounds the body and how we view one another and the interaction between the sexes and all of this conversation about the fluidity of gender and sex complicates it even more to the point where it's sometimes difficult to see the dignity. Sometimes you just get fed up. Uh, St. Paul does this in the book of Romans in chapter 7. He's like, miserable one that I am, who will deliver me from this mortal body? But then in the same breath, he um, praises God as he gives the answer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Like, Jesus will deliver you from this body. And he will give you a glorified one in heaven. Like, we won't have to worry about this. And we can prefigure the kingdom of God. We can prefigure the experience of heaven in our interactions with one another when dignity comes first. And so modesty really has to do with so many other virtues. Chastity, self-control, purity, temperance, practicing solidarity, a sense of justice that making sure that sexes are treated fairly and not talked about or... Um, exploited in some imbalanced way. I mean, neither should be exploited, but it's clear that when it comes to modesty and the body, that the female sex has been so heavily exploited and presented with this idea that you have to conform to a certain image, a certain measurement, a certain body type, and that changes rapidly, you know? Remember, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when thin eyebrows were the thing. And now it's like all about thick, polished, you know, and then I don't know where it's going back in the pendulum. But it's like, though, even something simple like that shows you how fluid these concepts of beauty are. And I think women have the ill fortune of being affected by that and being pressured to conform to it so much more than men do. But men also struggle with this. Men also struggle with body issues, ideas of modesty, the type of fit of clothing to wear, how muscular or cut you are, all these different things. There is this kind of ideal, an idealized image of the male body out there. And also, when you think of the Catholic culture, there is this idealized form of the Catholic man and the Catholic woman. And the Catholic man is this bearded, rugged, suit-wearing trad cat who, you know, puts, um, you know, holy oil in his beard and can, you know, build a log cabin with his pinky and knows all of the mystics, you know, by heart and has read everything by Fulton Sheen and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger or Benedict XVI, as he's known, Pope Benedict XVI, all, you know, that kind of image. And then the wife who is the dutiful wife of 13 children working at home and is just smiling joyfully at like, this is my life and I love it and praise the Lord. And I'm not... I'm not belittling people who really that I may have just explained certain couples to a T and I'm not belittling any of those couples because if they're living it authentically, I have no doubt that God is using that as an avenue for their sainthood and that it is a beautiful way of life for them. But it is not the norm for everyone and it is not a preferred form of life 
for Catholics than being a Catholic who is passionately pursuing God as a disciple in whatever field or whatever relationship or vocation God calls them to. And so modesty is the virtue that we need to be able to see dignity in all those different paths in every person that we encounter. And especially when we look in the mirror, we are often immodest to ourselves because we say a lot of negative things and believe a lot of negative things about ourselves when we look in the mirror, when we look at our body, when we look at um, the areas where we lack confidence, the areas where we wish we were uh, better or where we were more appealing, whether that's you know, skills or talents that we would have, the ability to be social, or even how we physically look. And so it's just been such a a big thing on my heart lately to really talk about this virtue and really call all of us to pray for an increase of it. If you want to learn more about what the church teaches about modesty, I would uh, point you to those those four paragraphs in the catechism. If you have the United States Catechism for Adults, which is the American catechism that came out um, after the catechism of the Catholic Church. Catechism of the Catholic Church is a global catechism. The United States one is obviously just a national one that was inspired by that. And that, um, that original catechism permitted that local areas or nations would make their own catechism for their context. And so um, that one is chapter 33 when they talk all about the ninth commandment and the virtue of modesty. And those are specifically pages 441 to 444. Um, And it really talks kind of about how this has been very prevalent in our exploitative and highly eroticized culture in America and just in the West in general. And so I'd encourage you to go those places and then ask for the intercession of saints, especially those saints who were consecrated virgins. Um, We've done many saints, um, highlighted many saints on previous episodes that that would apply to people like uh, Maria Goretti um, and uh, I think St. Cecilia was a virgin martyr. Um, But I want to talk about another one of those martyrs on this episode, Um, a little bit of a lesser known saint named St. Agnes of Rome. Not much is known about her because she lived from about 291 to 304. So she was a very early Christian saint. She was a virgin. She was martyred for her faith. Um, and she's venerated not just in the Catholic Church, but in Eastern Orthodoxy and Anglicanism, Lutheranism. She's a pretty big deal. She's one of only seven women, along with Mary, who are named in part of the prayers of the Canon of the Mass. Um, she's often depicted holding a lamb, um, because her name um, is similar to the Latin word agnus for uh, for lamb, but her name actually probably came from the Greek hagne, which means chaste or pure. Um, and so she's often depicted also with a palm leaf, because that is the universal sign for a martyr, someone who's been killed for their faith. And she's the patron saint of girls, particularly young girls, and the virtue of chastity. Her feast day is on January 21st, which is believed to be the day that she died, that she was martyred. And according to tradition, um, she was born as a member of a Roman noble family and raised in a family that was a very early Christian family. And she was known to be very beautiful. And because she was beautiful and from a wealthy family, she had a lot of high-ranking suitors coming to try and um, get her to marry them. 
but she was very resolute in her devotion to her uh, religious purity, and so uh, some of them submitted her name to the Roman authorities as a follower of Christianity. And this, keep in mind, was a time when the Christian church was being persecuted. Christianity was primarily being lived out underground and in secret. Um, and yet the church was still rapidly growing and spreading because of the evangelism and because just the fact that the Holy Spirit was so, they were so docile to the movement of the Holy Spirit and willing to go wherever God led them, even if it meant it would end in their physical death. And so um, the prefect at the time, the Roman prefect, his name was Sempronius. Um, so the prefect, that's like the governor. So the prefect at the time of Jesus in that area was Pontius Pilate. Um but this is in Rome, and so the, the prefect in Rome, Sempronius, um, he condemned Agnes, and he commanded that she would be dragged naked through the streets to a brothel, and then be at the brothel for people to kind of have their way with her. And she was a very young girl at this time. She's sometimes depicted as being like between 12 and 14 years old. So just of age, which was typical still at the time, to begin getting suitors and get married, because life expectancies were shorter, and it, that was just the cultural reality at the time. But... Um, it's just horrifying to think, you know, for anyone, but especially someone that young. And so, um, she prayed as she was being dragged through the streets. And as she prayed, uh, one account says that her hair grew so long and covered her body, um, so that her, her modesty and her dignity would be intact. And then when she arrived at the brothel, it was said that all of the men that attempted to assault her or, um, have sexual relations with her were immediately struck blind. And then the son of that prefect who had made that um, uh, charge against Agnes, um, his, his son was struck dead, but Agnes found out, prayed for him, and he came back to life. And that was what caused her to be released. So there ended up being a trial for Agnes because she was still a Christian. But Sempronius, the prefect, he recused himself because he did not want to be um, a victim of another result of, you know, uh, prosecuting this this young girl. And so some someone else presided and sentenced her to death. And so she was led out um, in front of people bound to a stake um, to be burned, but the wood would not burn. Um, and then when it finally did start burning, the flames would part away from her. And so, like, you just you couldn't kill this girl. Like it just was not happening. And so eventually um, the officer in charge of the troops there drew his sword. And in some accounts it says he beheaded her or in others, he stabbed her in the throat. Um, and because she was so revered already for her chastity and her purity, it said that the Christians who were there um, soaked up the blood on the stadium floor with cloths to preserve it um, as relics. And so she was buried um, beside the Via Nomentana in Rome, which is, I believe, a road there in Rome, a historical ancient road. And then a few days later, her foster sister, whose name was Emen- sorry, whose name was Emerenciana, she was found praying by Agnes's tomb. And when she was found by the Romans, she claimed to be um, the daughter of Agnes's wet nurse. Um, and uh, well, she may very well have been because they were foster siblings. Um, but she was stoned to death because she refused to leave and she reprimanded the Romans for killing Agnes. Um, and she, Emerenciana, that's a hard name to say, she was later canonized. And so she is also a saint. Um, and it is said that um, Constantine, when Constantine... Um, brought about the legalization um, of Christianity after the Battle of Melvium Bridge with the Edict of Milan in 313, which was just, you know, a couple decades after this. 
Um, his daughter, Constantina, she was said to have been cured of leprosy after praying at St. Agnes's tomb. And so there was a church built uh, on the air, the place where she was believed to be buried. Her relics are venerated, uh, and she's a great, awesome saint of boldness uh, in this virtue of modesty, not going back on what matters, not treating others with uh, without dignity. I love that part that, you know, the people, the person who condemned her, she finds out that their son died. And for most of us would be like, that's right, good riddance, you deserved it. And instead, she recognizes with her virtue of modesty, the dignity of this son that has died, and she prays for him to be revived. And he is. And what just what a, a, a beautiful example of living out seeing others with dignity that she uh, inspires us to. And so I would encourage you to ask for the intercession of St. Agnes of Rome. I would encourage you to pray for an increase in the virtue of modesty, especially in this election season. Someone said yesterday, 50 days left. So today's 49 days left. I love, I love seeing that number get smaller. I hadn't quantified it, but there's, don't worry, there's only 49 days left. So it's just like Lent, you know, Lent is, I guess, technically 47 days, but you don't count the Sundays. So just think of this next time, you know, as you're hearing this podcast, it'll be a few days later. So it's basically Lent until the election's over. And then we can celebrate the Easter joy of it being over. And so if you want to think of it that way, whatever you need to fast from, whatever anger, you know, temper, certain types of conversations you need to fast from for the Lent of this upcoming election season, do that so that you can grow in the virtue of modesty. Same thing when it comes to coronavirus and same thing when it comes to actually issues that come up traditionally when it comes to modesty and the way you present yourself, the way you dress, the way you talk about others, the way you talk about yourself. Be authentic and honest when you talk about yourself. Don't just put forth false claims or stories to be liked or to get accolades or influence over other people. That is not being modest either. There's a recognition of your own dignity that you are created by God as you are that you don't need to present any other version of yourself to be liked and loved. And if you feel that you do, then those people really don't like or love you. And that we need to extend that same behavior and virtue to everyone that we meet. Not to judge before we really know the context, the intention, and the person. Not to make uh, snap assumptions about people. Not to be reactive, but to be loving and to approach people in the context that they're in, with dignity, knowing that God created them, he created them good, and he created them to seek and desire the good, the true, and the beautiful. And so when we see sinful behaviors coming out in others, first of all, we should do that as a check to make sure we're being authentic in the way that they're coming out in us. But then to recognize underneath them is probably an intention to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful, but it has been distorted. And so what's what's better to do? condemn them for a distortion or to dig deeper and praise them for the desire and honor the desire, the dignified desire to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful and the fact that God created them. They are made in his image and likeness and so are you. So my brothers and sisters, know that the Lord loves you. He loves you so much. He died for you and he rose for you. And so we owe other people that same reverence and respect. If God would lay down his life, maybe we should lay down our assumptions. Maybe we should lay down our tongue and not say things that are harmful. Maybe we should lay down that part of our mind that might tend to think of using others, sexualizing them, or judging them. 
lay down our own pride and humbly accept the fact that we may need to grow in the virtue of modesty more than we thought, and maybe far more than people who we think just dress inappropriately. So let that be your challenge. If you have questions, comments, please let us know. You can email us at manafoodforthought at gmail.com. And the primary way you can get a hold of us or re, um, interact with us is on our Instagram, at manafoodforthought, all spelled out. We love to see uh, comments and your um, thoughts on our episodes. And the highest compliment you can pay to us is to share your thoughts and share these episodes with your friends and family on social media or just by word of mouth. Pray for us, pray for this uh, apostolate to continue, and we will continue to be faithful to it as long as we feel God is calling us to it. If you would like to contribute financially to that effort, it does cost money to host this podcast on a site and for the equipment that we need. And so um, you can do that by going to our website, manafoodforthought.com, and clicking on the Patreon tab and becoming a patron for as little as $1 a month. I know I've talked about new logo, I've talked about merchandise, and that has been so slow coming. I promise you it is not off my to-do list. I have zero dates uh, to give you in terms of when that will happen, but it will happen. And so I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your ongoing support and prayer so that we can continue uh, to do this for you. Lastly, if you didn't know this, on our Instagram and on our website, we have a blog that comes out every week on Tuesday, and it is a reflection on the psalm response for that upcoming Sunday Mass. And so if you want to dive deeper in reflecting on those readings in advance, which is something the church calls us to do, uh, make sure you read and pray over that. They're very short. Um, They fit on an Instagram comment, so it's like, you know, 2,000 characters or less. So I don't know how many words that is, but it doesn't take long to read. Another way to kind of be staying connected, staying disciplined in your prayer during this time in the middle of the week. That is it, my friends. So good to be with you uh, this day. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode and know that we are praying for you. If there's any way we can do that specifically, please do not hesitate to reach out and let us know, as well as with questions or topics for future episodes. That being said, until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.